It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I am joined by UK editor John Harrington. Hi, Frankie. And our special guests, Fenella Gray, Amir, Managing Director and Chair at Porto Novelli. Hello, Fen. Hello. And Tanya Joseph, Group Managing Director at H&K Strategies. Hi. Hello and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We're still saying Happy New Year, aren't we? We never know when the when the last day is to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year to you too. I've still got pine needles in my house, we're calling it Happy New yeah. Year. <laughs> so obviously given this is the first podcast of 2023, I honestly, I don't know about you, but I can't quite deal with the fact it's 2023. That number just doesn't sound right, does it? Um, we wanted to really invite Fenella and Tanya into the studio to really talk about their predictions for the year. And of course, what their New Year's resolutions, if they have any, may well be. So kicking off um, for 2023, Fenella, like what, what's really exciting you about this year and what do you feel is kind of really worrying you? <laughs> so, much, so much to think about in the upcoming year, but, but where are you at with the year ahead? Oh, that's quite an unpredictable year, I think. I'm sure we say that year on year, but it seems more unpredictable than, than, than others. That said, um, I think the really exciting thing about 2023 and the prospect of 2023 is um, the fact that our industry is becoming much more, much more data led and data savvy and data confident, which is actually revolutionising our work in a creative way. Um, and it's not just about ability to prove greater value right down to brand impact and sales, not just sort of top of funnel awareness, but, but really justifying its impact and contribution taking us from going from being able to say to clients, you know, we think we know to we know we know. And I love that confidence. So with our industry becoming more data-led, I think that's super exciting and super powerful. The worrying thing, and I think this will resonate with you possibly, Frankie, is, you know, with economic challenges, um, front and foremost, I worry about our clients and their organisations, indeed ourselves, shifting investments away from sustainability um in a sort of cost pressured environment so uh, being in this in climate emergency that we're in um action and um comms on climate can't be deprioritized in the short term given the pressures on um economics and the commercials so that i find troubling worry and about. and Fenella, do you think from a sustainability perspective do you mean from an operational perspective or more from a communications both. perspective both, both. okay I mean, the two are very intertwined, but I think when times are hard, cost cutting, you know, needs to take it takes centre stage, and therefore there's ongoing debates about how much investment to continue in sustainability when you've got to prioritise. I'm not saying that's um, you know a systemic issue across all of all of our clients' businesses, but it's definitely an ongoing dialogue. So this is a conversation that you're actually hearing with your clients around concerns. Of investment in sustainability it comes to manifest in prioritization of budget where to spend it in the comms world 
and if if there's the sort of gas is slightly off the pedal with regards to operational change then you can't have comms that don't justify the substance that's going on within the business the two have to be aligned and i suppose that the balance there is between short and long-term decision making and also the balance around people planet and profit and and where those pieces and where those levers really actually are yeah correct so tanya your year ahead what's exciting you um well it's a new year yes and so you know you look at the year ahead and think oh there's so much that could happen that should happen and how can I make it happen but at the same time it's a new year and I'm really worried about there is so much that could happen and should happen and can I make it happen and like Fen, I think there are some concerns I have around people's commitment to some of this stuff that we've been talking about for a really long time around impact on planet but also impact on people um I don't want people you, we're seeing signs amongst some organisations that these were instead of seeing them as essentials, they're nice to have. And yeah. I, you know, I think our job is to make sure people understand these are essentials. We cannot, as businesses, as agencies, as citizens, think about our impact on people and planet as icing on cake. It's the cake. The cake is, you know, it's really, really important that we we continue to focus intention and resources on getting that right because otherwise the rest is kind of meaningless and I think you know for me that's one of the worries but I think there is so much opportunity to innovate I think we are going through another economic a period of economic turbulence and for me that is making sure that we are able to respond really effectively to our clients think about risks to opportunity how we protect their reputation all Things for me which are exciting, but I think for our clients might be things that keep them up at night as well. So it's really interesting there, isn't it, that there's a really big challenge in the mainstream public space about really understanding that the cost of living crisis, the climate crisis, the energy crisis all come together as one, actually. And it sounds like the client is also not really thinking that through as a holistic situation of which you always need a forward-facing strategy as well as a kind of short-term strategy to to deal with what we have ahead of us. I don't think that they're, they're siloing those issues. They are not mutually exclusive, so therefore solving challenges of the business are looked through that lens, if not many. It's just when, when the purse strings are tight and when there's pressure on the margin, particularly for consumer-facing businesses, mm-hmm. um, then you have to figure out actually what's going to be best for the customer and how are we going to benefit the customer and support the customer in the short term? So I think it's a short term versus long term issue. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, ongoing strategies aren't being, you know, considered and pulled through and implemented on a kind of more longer term basis. It's just, I think 2023, those conversations and prioritization is going to become a real kind of challenging set of conversations within the boardroom. So is that when you're talking about on a consumer perspective, there's obviously lots of data that's driving an awful lot of innovation, marketing and, uh, you know, sustainability teams around the the, the buying uh, behavior of consumers around, um, you know, brands needing to be sustainable. Is there therefore more of an increasing focus, you think, therefore on price versus other values? Yes. Yeah, that is what sits at yeah. the heart of it, isn't it? I, I, think, I think price is the number one factor because heating versus eating um paying the energy bills versus you know being cold it, it, it's you know we are in hard hard times um and it's going to get unfortunately worse i think so therefore you know price is front front and center that doesn't mean to say that everybody forgets other values that they don't want to be live a more sustainable life that they don't want to um you know look after their health and well-being in kind of progressive ways it's just you know price becomes um center stage so value is the central driver i suppose therefore the challenge really is getting underneath the actual economics of that and actually looking at you know is price always bad you know cheap bad for the planet and therefore expensive better for the planet i suppose that's something that we've we've got to unpick i mean we know that you know renewable energy is cheaper than fossil fuel energy now so how does that then therefore play through in in other places so but I think it's easy in times of crisis to revert back to oh no we can't we can't spend on that kind of stuff that 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 looked like the nice stuff to do and I think it's sometimes not being able to then think through actually the long-term implications of what that really means rather than being knee-jerk in the quarter as it were maybe Um, I like 
come in and ask a question and you uh, alluded to it, Fen, about costs and um, client purse strings and so on. I mean, what, what's your expectations for um, client confidence and, and PR spend generally in 2023? Obviously, taking into account the economic downturn and the cost of living crisis and so on. Do you have any particular thoughts on, on how that might pan out during the year? Well, listen, I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, my glass is always half full. Um, so I'm thinking positively about this. I think if the, if the pandemic is anything to go by, then confidence in comms and PR spend should remain high. Um, we know that in times of PEMA crises, comms has been almost that superpower that drives engagement with employees, that connects with its customers in targeted, more um, relevant ways, and is often the glue to sort of holding different internal business units together. Um, and certainly, I think the industry felt, saw a lot of growth over the last couple of years when many sectors um, didn't. Um, but what I think, I could, on the negative side or the kind of more tricky side, I think, um, and I'm not sure this is true for everyone or just um, within my business, but certainly seeing a um, slowdown in clients' decision-making, uh, and rightly so, due to the greater scrutiny on those purse strings. But um, again, I come back to, and it might sound rather a rational kind of um, point to make, but greater use and mobilization of data in our industry to prove the impact we bring will shift us away from being seen a cost center to more being a sort of um, a value creator. Um, so I think the more we can do to prove the value and returns, coupled with the power to engage in effective, uh, relevant ways, gives gives strong confidence for this year. Great. And uh, Tanya, what, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, we're seeing similar things, actually, that um, obviously people are looking, clients want value for money. They always have done. And what we as a sector have done over the last period, particularly since COVID, is absolutely demonstrate um, and picking up on what Fen was talking about, because we're using making better use of data, um, the value that we bring, the return on investment that a really good comm strategy can help um, brands engage with their all their audiences, not just with with one. So whether that's their colleagues, their stake, their political stakeholders, their customers, their shareholders. I'm old. I've lived through quite a few recessions now. And I think one of the things that's interesting this time around is that I think business is much more resilient. I think that's a factor of having lived through a perma crisis, right? Everyone is in, is slightly better place, is, is a bit stronger and, and has is more likely to want to take a slightly longer term view because they know that what's happening today is likely to be different to what's happening in six months time. So I think people are a bit more willing to take a punt and not make uh, rapid decisions today because they they recognise, for example, that we are likely to see inflation halving over the course of the year. Bank of England's already forecast that we'll see a, a, um, a, a change in circumstances by mid-year. So I think our job is to make sure that we are helping our clients make good decisions now so that they can leverage that. So when consumers are looking to spend a bit more money when they are feeling the pressure on their household finances ease a little they're in a good position to yeah I'll, I'll you know that discretionary spend on on shampoo or a car or insurance they're feeling a bit more comfortable doing that and we need to make sure our clients are ready and and able to make to be able to take advantage of that so it sounds like the first six months are a little bit of limbo, really, until we can see that kind of consumer confidence returning in the middle of the year. Would you say that was right? I mean, I've got clients who actually have, you know, very, very big plans. But yeah. I think a lot of it is about making sure that they are keeping their colleagues and staff um, feeling that they're in the loop, feeling keeping them motivating, motivated. You know, we are... The cost of living crisis is real and it's affecting everyone, you know, in our sector and beyond. So how do you make sure that people feel like this is a place that they want, you know, yours is a place they want to work when we can't always be offering people cost of living proof uh, pay rises? How do you do that? So how do you use comms in really effective internal engagement, in employee engagement to make people feel like this is a place, you know, yours is a place they want to be. Also, you know, making sure that they're in touch with their communities, with their political stakeholders, you know, 
and I hopefully we'll come and talk about it later about what's going on in politics. But, you know, organisations really need to have strong comms plans in place now so that when the release comes, when it becomes a bit easier, they are in a good place. And are you seeing, Fanala, any differences between confidence around uh, business in consumer versus corporate? Are there any trends, any differences? Um, I think I think Tanya makes a really good point there in the sense that sort of, I'd say 50% of the work that we do now has some kind of employee engagement or employee experience. That's been a massive shift really massive. in the last couple of years, isn't it? When we sort of realised, boom, overnight at the start of the pandemic, that actually getting your arms around your employees and your people was first and foremost. And that hasn't gone away. Um, so, and actually, even if it isn't embedded in a, in a brief, then we are encouraging it to be in a brief. So I think it's quite hard, actually, I think in this day and age, really to silo or isolate consumer and corporate. I think it doesn't necessarily differentiate. So it's about coming up with the big ideas that translate across multiple audiences that activate across what you've called corporate and consumer, Um, because reputation and brand are wrapped up in the same thing. That said, I think, as I said earlier, those those brands or those organisations that are consumer facing, that are particularly those that are running on lower margins, there's more scrutiny on impact and, and value and contribution. But I don't think um, we very rarely get in a request that's one or the other. Um, it, it, it's about coming up with the right strategy based on the right insight that's going to give the right program to transcend and translate across different audiences. And I think that's advantageous for us from a financial perspective as an industry because it has a potentially bigger impact and bigger influence. 100%. And just looking at employee comms and just thinking about the shift that that's really been over the last couple of years, are, are you now finding, I mean, is it like one in four briefs that's coming through as an employee comms? Would you, is, it, is it now a substantial part of your business, would you say? Yes, massively substantial. I'd say even if it's not a direct employee engagement ask, then it's embedded within. So I'd say 50% of all of our remits have some kind of internal engagement piece wrapped into it, or whether it's testing, whether it's ambassadorial, whether it's advocacy, um, whether it's all sorts of things. Um, and then, yes, within outside of that, uh, yeah, we've uh, last beginning this time last year um, launched a specific area, specific capability and employee engagement, which is which is global. It's a global cohort across our our network that um, yeah range everything from sort of change communications and transformative communications up to executive visibility through to um, you know employee engagement and stuff so the, 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 the nature of employee engagement has changed as well because it's much broader and going into territories I think we weren't necessarily thinking we're classically in the comm space before. Can you give some examples? Uh, I can't name necessarily <laughs> clients. No just in terms of territories. Yes yeah, more change management so actually going into cultural change or executive coaching executive leadership coaching and performance um, enhancement stuff, which is kind of what you'd not necessarily consider, a, you know, once in a bygone era, pure, pure play communications agency to be able to do. It's so inter- I mean, I remember the days when sometimes we used to report into the head of HR. Do you remember mm. when that used to yeah. happen? I mean, it's extraordinary that it's all kind of gone back round again. Tanya, would you say the same? Are you seeing yeah. a, a heavy a lot comms. of the work we do yeah. is around employee engagement. And um, as Sven says, even if it doesn't come as part of the, it's not explicit in the brief, a lot of our response will include that because they're a really important channel. And, you know, we are, I mean, it is interesting. Of course, we do the hard stuff, the restructuring, the redundancies and all of that. But a lot of what we're doing now is uh, is development skills, giving people um, a view around leadership training, about how to be a better leader, about how to, you know, empathetic leadership, all of those um, um, elements, which again, to enhance the employee experience so that it becomes a place that people really want to work and see the value beyond their paycheck of being, of working with that organisation. I think this is so interesting because are you therefore, do you think, able to increase the fees and charges and value of the agency with clients because of this new 
space within employee comms and especially if you're moving into leadership and change management and development in a way that maybe before we were trying to you know especially from a consumer perspective compete against the ad agency as it were that there's an elevation there I mean I know that we're definitely seeing that through ESG and, and sustainability but it looks like there's very much an elevation of the role of a communications agency through the employee comms space would you uh, Fenn would you say that that's what's been happening or or is it much yes. more tactical yeah no no I, th- I think your analogy or comparison there with the ESG I think it's the same you know I think that the conversation that we have I think as we sort of start to plot out where to invest as a business over the course of the next year is how deep do you go into you know the operational consultancy which is places you know whether it's in the ESG space or whether it's in the employee coaching engagement space it's like where do we stop and another agency start and that automatically does elevate our work and that work often is instructed by you know, the C-suite or close to the C-suite rather than, you know, the PR manager, which we used to be our sort of go-to client. Just another point to make on internal comms. Um, I wrote a piece about six things PR industry should do this year, um, this week, and internal comms was one of them, you know, making sure that it becomes a sort of superpower. And I really feel that. And as part of that, I'm, I, um, I cited some research that PR Week did probably about 18 months ago now, but I still think it stands where we surveyed um, in-house comms professionals and there was a really clear gap in terms of um, the expectations of what how agencies can help them. And it really felt like that was something that could be exploited. And it feels like now the industry agencies are really exploiting that. They're really doing what they can to fulfill that need that, that clients have. Obviously something that was um, uh, accelerated by uh, the pandemic and, and other things. Um, so, it really constant feels crisis. Like constant <laughs> crisis um, and change and change. Yeah. So it really feels like um, we're in a different era in terms of the importance of internal comms. I think it used to be the poor cousin, didn't it? it used yeah, to be absolutely. The sort of place that stuff that sat in HR somewhere uh, and that just somehow kind of represented the business in a few emails here and there. Um, and lacked innovation now, and creativity, I think. Well, you know, that's, just that yeah. creativity. Creativity in employee engagement is, is the big kind of another big exciting opportunity, um, and not not just in terms of formats, but actually taking big ideas. Which is why I think some clients are particularly interested. Oh, you know, let's bring some of that external comms thinking absolutely before by applying that to our internal comms you know and actually some of the conversation we have with clients as well is like actually don't just think it you know it's not just an employee it's a human yes outside your own (laughs) owned channels whether it's you know your your own intranet site your own slack whatever it is actually they're consuming this in the morning they're seeing this in the evening they're kind of traveling to work or blah, blah 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 so actually if you start thinking about employee engagement through the lens of the sort of journey of your employee over the course of the day like we used to do in sort of customer journey mapping for brand comms actually that takes you into much more sort of creative territory which is also exciting i'd like to move on to politics now if that's okay um obviously goes without saying we've had a another incredibly turbulent year uh politically um 2022 and there's a lot of uh, a lot of challenges out there now, and a lot of things that that could be happening. As a public affairs specialist yourself, Tanya, what what do you think we can expect this year from politics? Um, which I know is a broad question, but more specifically, um, how do you think it will affect public affairs? Well, I think, well, for me, it's super exciting, right? Um, we are, I reckon, about eighteen months away from the next general election. Mm-hmm. I think that it will be a year of change. I don't think it will be the type of change that we had last year. We're not going to have three prime ministers, which was a little bit mad. Yeah. Um, so I think Rishi Sunak this time next year will still be prime minister and Keir Starmer will still be leader of the, the opposition. But what we will see over the course of the year is them establishing the the ground from which they're going to fight the next election. And uh, for both of them, the priority has to be building trust. Um with voters because trust is, you know, is a very, very low ebb at the moment. And for both parties, it is absolutely essential that they build trust with business, um, that business want, will look to them and want to help shape policy, um, feed into the manifesto. And now, and I say this, and I've worked in public affairs for a really, really long time, I think for the first time in over a decade, I'd say it is absolutely essential 
for organisations to think about their public affairs strategies and how they're engaging with um, those people that are shaping policy in the political parties, because now is is the opportunity. The, the window is now open and both parties, both Labour and Conservatives, are absolutely looking to businesses, to NGOs, to the civic society to help shape their policies on some really big things and some very, very specific things. And this is when organisations, trade bodies, everyone needs to come together and think, OK, what is it that we need? How are we going to, what do we need to be more successful in the future to launch this product or to be able to employ more people or to launch in that market? What is it that we need? And to go and talk to, to the political parties about how they can help. I mean, just, I mean, what we've seen in public affairs quite a lot last year was this big rush of hires um, from a sort of Labour Party background. Um, can we expect that to accelerate, do you think? Well, I think that for a long time, Labour Party, I mean, you know, no one was engaging with the Labour Party because let's be honest, it, it didn't seem likely they were going to be back in government for a really long time. And you can see understand why under David, both Dave, um, Ed Miliband and then under Corbyn, it was very, you know, it was never going to happen. Now Labour has got a, a... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Credible leader who is slowly building credibility. Um, he still lacks a bit of charisma, but, you know, he's he's a credible alternative. And now it is likely that, you know, Labour has a really good shot as, uh, of being of taking government. So it is really, really important that you go and talk to them. Also, Labour has changed its view. It has ch- changed from being under uh, Corbyn in particular, a, a party that was not interested in dealing with with um, business to wanting an, an organisation that's bending over backwards to understand what the needs of business are. It un- completely understands that it needs to have good relationships with business, with employers in order to get to fulfil its agenda. So for the first time in a really long time, it is credible. And I think, you know, there are some good people working in um, politics. I'm not sure that agencies should be rushing to hire former special advisors. The challenge is always understanding how decisions are made, when they're made, and how you can influence them appropriately. Do you necessarily need to to be on first and aid terms with the shadow secretary of state or the shadow secretary? Not necessarily you do, but you do need to understand how decisions are made, what's influencing them, and how you can do it appropriately. So Tano, do you, I mean, one of the biggest criticisms, well, there's a couple of big criticisms but a key issue I think has been over a number of years has been the lack of policy and and not enough you know really strategic back you know backbone around those key policy um needs can you see that changing I mean I think you know we've seen people leave the house of lords and and various other things because we just haven't had that policy there I think there has to be because you know the last few elections have been fought basically around Europe you know that's part we're not no matter what your personal views are that debate is not going to be reopened there's not going to be another vote on on entry to the eu for another generation at least right so the government the parties have to have some actual policy ideas and those ideas are going to have to be around um restructuring our economy so we have growth i mean that sounds you know it's janet and john but it's really essential because we haven't really seen growth in the economy how we um, have innovation, how we improve. I mean, all the the bread and butter topics that people really care about, you know, 
aren't the schools that we're, we're sending our children to any good? Is the health service able to quote cope with with people getting sick over you know over the winter? These are fundamental things, and each of the parties are going to have to have solid thought through policy ideas that people will believe because at the you know up until you know the last few elections have not been about that they've been you know much more ideologically are we in europe are we outside of europe are we for immigration are we out you know not for immigration i think those things are changing people are now looking for more nuanced arguments about the things that matter to them well i mean given i mean all the you know, news reports you read about the performance of the economy and us as a country. I mean, we are really in the doldrums compared to any other mm-hmm. European country and any other sort of main, you know, established country. I mean, it's just a disaster zone at the moment. So really the strength of that policy has to be everything, doesn't it? Yeah. So looking also, John and I had the great pleasure of speaking to Casey Perrier and thinking about the rebuilding of trust you know, listening to the way that the press offices run within uh, Downing Street, not dissimilar to that, it seems, of the royal family. And, you know, really rebuilding trust with with a, with a, a press office function where there's so much, you know, background briefing and leaking and all of those sorts of things. I mean, how do you handle that as a public affairs specialist trying to help organisations, governments rebuild trust? Wow, it's hard. I mean, I think that I would not be a government press officer for love and the money these days. Sounded awful. <laughs> I mean, I used to do that job and I loved it. But I think it, those were the days where I was really clear who spoke on behalf of the government and who could who was speaking to journalists. And at the moment, anyone who's on the government payroll can, apparently has a relationship with a journalist and will phone them up and talk to them whenever they like. And it's a it's you know it's not sustainable. But, you know, um, I think that. For for my clients and for organisations, it's being really, really clear about what it is that you're looking for, understanding where are the points where you can, where, again, and I use the word appropriate a lot because, you know, we have very strict rules around lobbying in this country and I, I was part of helping to establish them, so I'm really proud of them, but you need to do it appropriately and um, where you can apply pressure, where you can influence decision-making and be really clear about who who and how and when you should be doing it. And it's, as I say, less to do about who you know um, and more to do about who is really making that decision, where is it, that decision being made and when it's being made, and being transparent about the fact that you you want to see a change in policy or you absolutely endorse that policy and you really are keen for it to, to be progressed. And I think it's, so it's, yeah, honesty and transparency and sticking to your your strategy and you know there are, I remember a couple of years ago clients would constantly be coming in to me and say you know what I really want to do is meet Boris Johnson because I think that he can really help me and it was just like Boris Johnson's the last person you need if you really want this policy regress because he's not going to be the person that's going to make he it happen. He wasn't famous for his no. policy. <laughs> so <laughs> less thinking about you know the the stardom and more thinking about who's who's the right person is it a politician is it a policy official you know where is it really being made, and 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 for that you really do need some expert help. So if you don't have a, you know, a public affairs team in your business, then go and talk to an agency that does have a good public affairs team. So moving on and looking at other challenges for for you both um, this year, and people is always you know the biggest challenge that that we all face. Um, would you say, Fernanda, that the the Great Resignation is over, and what do you feel? is really going to be your kind of key key trends and challenges for people in recruitment and talent over the following year? I think it's more of a great reawakening. That's not my language. Somebody else said it, but it's spot on. Um, I think this sense of, um, yeah, I mean, the talent market is going to remain incredibly aggressive, right? Um, and I think we can expect to probably see two things. One, one is when, obviously, less cash to flash generally, um, means that, um, and rightly so, there's greater um, demands from talent on experiences and what I'd call access. So um, I think what what we're seeing in the industry is is a continued push away from kind of classical linear career progression um, towards more sort of squiggly career career. So squiggly meaning, you know, more opportunity, more diversity, more career defining experiences, offering, you know, meaningful, impactful client work that you're proud about, that you can talk about. Um, access to greater greater access to leadership 
Um, you know, you want your voices. Voices need to be heard. Um, greater kind of connections with subject matter experts and international colleagues. I think kind of international perspective and being part of an integrated, active, global, connected team is is going to really kind of uh, help, um, I guess, keep and maintain and inspire talent. Um, and then I think throwing in and offering up really exciting and inspiring opportunities that you can't kind of access you know, on your own. So one of our big partnerships that I'm most proud of is with, with One Young World, which is a global think tank, which is um, creates, I think it's got about 15,000 ambassadors now, One Young World ambassadors around the world who come together once a year to solve some of the big issues the planet and people are, are, are experiencing globally. So having that access, um, I think, is really important, as well as those kind of career-defining opportunities. And then I think on recruitment, um, I think 2023 is going to be um, another year of sort of lateral and creative thinking with regret, with regards to um, finding people great top talent outside of our industry. So we talked a little bit about earlier about employee engagement and ESG and sustainability. Um, so to help us become more diverse um, and inclusive, we've got to kind of, I think this year we'll see greater recruitment, more, more and more recruitment outside of our industry specifically in those areas. And Tanya, for you, great resignation over? Yes, in that I think that that dislocation that people felt sort of during COVID and post-COVID is kind of dissipated. Um, and people are, I absolutely agree with Fen that people are looking for what, their expectations of what a career looks like a completely different from what mine were when I was when I was in my twenties and thirties. Uh, you know, they are looking for reward in a different way. So yes, everyone wants to pay, right? The cost of as I come back to the cost of living crisis is 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 biting everyone. But you know, how can they feel valued? How can they get opportunities? How can they help clients solve problems? I think is something that is when I talk to the especially my more junior colleagues, that's what really excites them. Can they go and work with uh, colleagues in the New York office or Beijing or whatever to to work with a client on this particular issue? And that might be for six months or it might be a longer term thing, but knowing that they can do that kind of thing, not being pigeonholed, not being told, oh, you're an account exec who works out of London and you work on consumer, that's it. Those are the things that people find um stultifying but they they're looking for more than that I mean I think that you know again thinking about the economic circumstance we're living in it's this really odd period because we have pretty much full employment at least in the southeast so the impact that has on salaries and on how how as employers we can reward people those are all challenges for us how do we keep people who are worrying about paying their bills worrying about about their fuel worrying about eating but when we can't necessarily go to clients and ask them for inflation busting fee increases, you know, those are all challenges for us. But our employees are looking for reward beyond the pay packet, really. And, you know, what's the experience of being part of your workforce like? I think the younger, more millennial team were already looking for that, weren't they? Yeah. 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 And it's, so it's, it's just it's enhanced a, even more now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was always there. COVID came and kind of shook things up and people were, were having to look at things differently. Um, and it's just been, you know, now we're, we're back onto the, the, the track we already were. I think for me, one of the things that we're still seeing post-COVID is, is getting people to work together more to understand that, all of us have a role in in teaching and learning from each other, not just from our, you know, seniors, um, more experienced people teaching uh, less experienced, more junior people, but everyone learning from each other. And I think that the, the more time you spend together, the more likely that is to happen. You know, you don't learn if you're all sitting in your own houses um, on Teams all day. Okay, um, two quick questions to end on, then, if that's okay. Um, First one, what one thing do you think the comms industry should be doing in 2023 that it's not doing now? Um, Fen, what do you think? So from my perspective, we've got to get better this year at retaining diverse talent, particularly at the mid-level. Um, the dropout's too high. 
Um, so therefore, um, you know, we've got to invest in getting the structures right, getting the training support right, getting um, the opportunities right. Um, I think I would say it's kind of easy to get an invite to the party, um, which is diversity. It's hard to kind of dance when you're there in the right environment, which is inclusivity. So we've got to create the right culture, the right size spaces, the right training, etc., and really focus on retaining diverse talent in our business. Great. Thanks. And uh, Tanya? Well, I'd say building on that, I think we've worked really hard in creating more diverse workplaces. But one of the things that we haven't done and I think we as employers and we as as comms professional actually haven't have an obligation to do this, which is to make people comfortable with the idea of conflict, that not everyone's going to agree with you. In fact, that is the very point about diversity is that it's not just a social justice thing. It's about how do we create better businesses where people bring all their different perspectives and disagree with each other and out of that conflict come up with something brilliant and at the moment, I feel like people are not comfortable with the idea of conflict. They really, really, you can see people physically recoil when people don't agree. Um, and for me, getting people to feel comfortable with the notion that that is exactly what I'm trying to do, you know, by building a diverse team with people of different backgrounds and perspectives and ages and classes and and everything that it's all right. So long as we re- do it respectfully, so long as we share values, but we just say, actually, I don't, I think you're wrong, John. I don't think you should do it that way. Or, you know, so, someone says, but Fend had a really good idea. Let's, let's try and pick up on that. You know, there, that's where you get something interesting. And at the moment, I just get the sense that everyone feels deeply uncomfortable with someone disagreeing with them. It's been like that for years. I mean, I'm literally like cheering Tanya because I've like, I have struggled with this my whole career. And I think it's healthy debate and really engaging in that healthy debate is is so important. But sometimes that fear that can rise on the floor when there's just a sense that actually we might be having a disagreement and suddenly this feels uncomfortable. And I feel, and it's always been, but I feel it's become more pronounced now that people think that they have a right not to be offended or not to be upset or not to be challenged. And that is not, I'm I'm not saying we should be deliberately offensive, but saying to you, actually, I don't think you're right. It's not offend. It's not being offensive. It's you it's me saying, I don't think you're right. I've got a different perspective. Let's talk about it. And something might interesting might come out of it. And I think people are so reluctant to even start having those conversations. So I think, one of the things that I would really like to look at this year is how we can get people more comfortable doing that. So if you look at the sort of five pillars of what makes a really great team, trust sits at the bottom, right? And actually when you have really strong trust, that is supposed to enable the facilitation mm. of, of healthy conflict and healthy debate. And once you have that trust, I think it, it doesn't mean that you don't have trust, but it's allowing people to sort of walk into that trust and, mm. and, and be supported by that trust while you're having that kind of healthy conflict. And I say great work comes from from that. Rob, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I think it's so important that every voice is heard. I mean, I think consultative, empathetic leadership is the, the, the today's style of leadership required to pull out every voice. We have the reverse mentoring scheme here because there's so much stuff I don't know that I need to know from the you know entry level people coming into the business. It's all about, as, as Tanya says, creating the right culture and environment to be able to call out the bad behavior and to celebrate the good. And I think often that comes down to really, really explicit um, action-focused values and behaviors. Um, And sometimes it's as as simple as that. And that then gives people the code to be able to behave and show up for each other in the right way, which does include challenging and constructive criticism. And actually, funny enough, I don't have that. I don't feel that problem. I don't feel that problem here, but I feel the problem of channeling enthusiasm (laughs) which is when you get a lot of voices, you can't not listen and not respond. So that, I think, is a, an, a, an additional challenge to, to, to face into this year, which is, you know, dealing with all the feedback, dealing with all the points of view and being really clear on, yep, heard you, heard you. I think this is the best direction of travel. And that's, you know, requires high energy levels. So just our final question then, Fen. What's your professional, what's your personal one too, but what's your professional New Year's resolution? 
it's all based on energy levels for me. What's going to fuel my energy levels to keep me inspired and driven? Because when you've been around the block for a while, you kind of come into the next year and you think, here we go again. Yeah. Here we go again. How am I going to kind of keep up and keep everybody um, energized and excited by the year ahead? And sometimes it's really simple things that um, enable you to sort of think about that. And I often think about, you know, who's feeding and watering me? Um we talked about years ago, and I think it's quite a useful thing. Where am I getting my inspiration from? Where am I getting my kind of ideas from? I think when you're running a business, it's very easy to fall into what I call kind of reactive mode and just deal with what comes at you as opposed to proactively and intentionally go for getting out there and meeting great new talent, getting out there, meeting great new clients, getting out there, meeting great new partners um, to the agency. So for me, um, my resolution has getting back to a sort of what I call 75% proactive diary versus 25% reactive, and that will keep me energised. And Tanya, you, what's your New Year's resolution? Um, I have a rollover, which is to always try and do something new and or scary at least once a week. Once a week? Yeah. And that, and that, and that means... Well, this ticks off this week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that might mean... Having a meeting with someone that I really, you know, it's a random, someone's yeah. asked to see me and I was like, you know what, because out of those, some of those random meetings, I've, extraordinary things have happened Absolutely. or going to see something that I wouldn't normally see or going out, you know, it's just to try and get new experience because as Fen says, it's by the, yeah, by the, t- I'm now talking for her as well. By the time you get mm-hmm. to our age, you just need to get, find things to keep you There's motivated. A lot of our age in here today. <laughs> Energy. I'm acutely I'm aware that, that, that not, every, well. not everyone in this room is the same age as me, but oh. just feeling how you get yourself, because we have to motivate people, right? And we have to keep energy high, but how are we doing that for ourselves? But I think and in the cost we... of living crisis and all that leaders have to do now to keep their teams motivated, there is a, you know, it, there's a really big pressure, I think, on mm. leaders now, isn't there? Because you've got to do everything to try and keep everybody going when there isn't the natural energy out there that might be driving client business or salaries or so forth. It's it's tough while you're smiling through it all, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, listen, I think that brings us to the end of this week's fantastic conversation. Thank you so much to you both, Tanya and Fen, for joining us. And we wish you both the very best 2023. Thank you. And to you. Thank you. Thank you. So, John, it's time for this week's top and flop. Yes, it is. And I know it's the biggest story at the moment, but I'm not going to talk about Prince Harry uh, for top of flop. Um, I'm sorry. There are three main reasons. I don't know what this. to do now. I've been preparing for it all week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know this is part of the problem. Whenever we start talking about it, suddenly the next 15 minutes is debate. And um, yeah, so I'm going to give three reasons for not talking about it. Firstly, it's everywhere. Um, I'm not quite sure what we can add specifically. Secondly, the Royals aren't like any other institution. I'm not sure uh, if the wider lessons for comms uh, professionals are, are that relevant necessarily. And thirdly, um, I just think it's impossible to say if it's good or bad publicity without knowing what the aims are. You know, if Harry wants publicity to drum up book sales, it's clearly worked. If he wants more sympathy in the UK or the wider world, I'm not so sure. If he wants revenge against his brother, maybe, maybe not. So, so you're talking about it now. You can't so, well, help this it, is, can you? <laughs> I have to talk about it in order to say this is why we're not going to talk about it too much. But basically, I think Top of Flop needs to be pretty certain whether it's good or bad. So for that reason, um, sorry, Sorry for anyone who wanted more on on the royal shenanigans. So um, I'm going to make this a royal-free zone. However, I will be discussing Meghan, not the Duchess of Sussex, uh, but the killer robot doll who stars in the new film um, of the same name. It's actually spelt uh, M3GAN. So there you go. Um, Now, I know this sounds very left-field, but bear with me. This film has absolutely stormed the box office. Um, It's its opening weekend um, at the weekend just gone. Um, which I think is really impressive considering it's not part of a franchise or an extended universe, not yet anyway. Um, you don't hear looking... of a storming of a box office very often these days. This is you? a storming, an absolute yeah. <laughs> storming. Um, you know, and the reason from a comms perspective has been helped by a massive viral campaign um, that has up, drummed up interest over several months, actually. Um, you may have seen or, or not people sort of imitating this sort of demonic, creepy hell dance thing um, that has been very sort of relevant um, and sort of timely for kind of the, the um, continued explosion of, of TikTok um, and other other social media platforms. Apparently the dance was added to the film itself later in the day as a sort of an Easter egg. But anyway, there's some more publicity on that. But yeah, we've seen things like groups of this sort of Megan dolls 
dancing to Taylor Swift at the premiere that got a lot of publicity. And generally, these creepy Megan dolls have appeared in all sorts of places um, in recent weeks. So there we go. I'm going with Megan. Frankie, will you be rushing to see the psychotic killer robot doll film on the big screen? What do you think? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> go on then, Flop. Okay, Flop. Um, so um, I'm going for Amazon, actually, um, which I think it's fair to say suffered a bit of a, a reputational um, hit this week after announcing the closure of three warehouses that could mean um, up to 1,200 jobs lost. Um, I don't really blame the comms operation here. And to be fair, the announcement has been accompanied by news um, that Amazon plans to open two new state-of-the-art centres creating 2,500 jobs over three years. But um, as you'd probably expect, unions have hit out at Amazon and I don't think the timings are good. Um, The GMB called it uh, a real kick in the teeth for Amazon staff who worked themselves into the ground during the festive rush. Um, I think this really shows the the challenge Amazon faces as it moves from being in you know such a period of growth to handling negative news like this as as difficulties arise. So, Frankie, what's your view of of Amazon comms at the moment? In well, UK? I do agree that suddenly laying loads of people off after Christmas in a retail business isn't isn't great reputationally, is it? Um, and also, Amazon pretty profitable business, and you know, looking at ways that we can weather storms during the cost of living crisis. I did question in my mind, I, you know. Was it the cost of living crisis, or was this really that Amazon Fresh wasn't working? Well, maybe that maybe. I, I mean, mean, there's a lot that's of... what I thought. In all honesty, I I did wonder if that was a bit of a, a sideshow. I kind of I do wonder if it's because I don't have a sense that Amazon Fresh is working. I don't know about you, but I, I did wonder if it was that. Maybe. Well, it's a complicated business, isn't it? I think with any business sort of diversifying, let alone one of the you know unbelievable scale of Amazon, I think it's going to come across a, a lot of challenges. And maybe there was a backward step there, and yeah, maybe it's 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 not as straightforward as as it might seem. But nevertheless, it does show the the challenges it's under at the moment. So that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you so much to everybody that's been listening and we look forward to seeing you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.